Bridge Bank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to the risk takers, the game changers, and the disruptors. Bridge Bank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. Bridge Bank, be bold, venture wisely. Hi there, I'm Randad Fattah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. From KQED Public Radio in San Francisco, this is Forum. I'm Scott Schaefer, in today for Michael Krasny. This hour, Michael Tubbs was just 26 years old when he was elected mayor of Stockton four years ago. He was seen by many as a rising star. His program of guaranteed income was funded by Silicon Valley philanthropists, and it won national attention. He was also the focus of an HBO documentary titled Stockton On My Mind. In spite of that, or maybe in part because of it, Tubbs lost his bid for re-election to a Republican challenger last month, and some say a relentless disinformation campaign on a local news blog helped defeat him. We'll get his take on all that in an exit interview with Stockton Mayor Michael Tubbs right after this. Welcome to Forum. I'm Scott Schaefer here today for Michael Krasny. Well, there were plenty of surprises in the November election, but one result here in the Bay Area really stood out for me, the defeat of Stockton Mayor Michael Tubbs. He was elected four years ago at the age of just 26, and his innovative guaranteed income policy attracted big funding from Silicon Valley entrepreneurs. And HBO did a documentary called Stockton on My Mind about him, highlighting his rise to poverty, rise from poverty, I should say. While critics say Mayor Tubbs failed to address poverty and homelessness, he and others contend that a conservative news website pummeled him with negative and often misleading coverage for four years, contributing to his loss to a more conservative Republican. Mayor Tubbs is leaving office in January, and he joins us this morning for an exit interview. Mayor, welcome. Welcome. <laughs> Good to have you with us. Hey, before we get to the election and your last four years, I do want to ask you about some uh, news out of Washington. Congress has finally acted. They've come to a bipartisan agreement on a package of relief. Uh, and, of course, it, it, is leaves, it leaves out funding for cities and uh, also for state governments who are struggling. What are your thoughts about that and the fact that it didn't make it into, apparently, this, this final package? Well, it's this whole fiasco of spending eight months to get a package that includes one $600 check um, to, to the American people just really illustrates why these Georgia elections are so important. Mitch McConnell can no longer be the majority leader of the Senate. He has shown that he governs with cruelty and indifference. Um, it's all about him and his, and his folks and his, and his stock portfolio. And the American people deserve better. It's unacceptable again for one $600 check when all 125 economists have said checks need to be reoccurring during this pandemic if you want to exit safely. It's unacceptable that cities and, and, and state governments aren't given the aid that they need 
particularly when the Republican Party has positioned themselves as the party of first responders, which is a lie. The party that, that wants to increase funding for firefighters and police officers. And they did the, they literally defunded the police in this uh, relief package. So, I, I mean, something is better than nothing for sure. But that's such an extremely low bar. And I think it's unacceptable and we all deserve better. Well, in, in a lot of ways, this is your successor's problem. But what impact will this have on Stockton? You mentioned uh, firefighters, uh, first responders. Like, give us a couple of examples of like layoffs or services that will need to be cut. What, what, what impact is it going to have? Well, I mean, that, that, that remains to be seen. But just this past weekend, we, ha- we had a scare with one of our engines because of the holidays and people having um, to take time off or people b- being sick, et cetera which caused almost that we were almost we, we were almost forced to not give anyone any time off and have people work a bunch of doubles. And that's because we just don't have the level of staffing for a city this size and this busy. And not having money to address that, there's no way that makes that problem better. And I think, for instance, cities are on the front line of every major kind of impact of COVID-19. So without having the resources to educate the public about the vaccine, for example, without having the resources to provide um, the spacing needed for our staff to work safely, et cetera, not having the resources to provide for um, remote work. And, and luckily for Stockton, I'm leaving office with a $13 million surplus during this pandemic. So we have some money to help weather this storm. But for the vast majority of cities throughout this country, that's not the case. They're talking about budget cuts. They're co- talking about deficit spending. They're talking about laying off staff at a time when we need government to be more responsive, not less. So again, it goes to show the failure of Mitch McConnell as a Senate Majority Leader and why everyone listening needs to do their part and donate to the Georgia Challengers, phone bank for the Georgia Challengers, and let's get to a place where we can have real policy discussions that are actually about benefiting all of us, not just a few of us. Well, let's talk about the election now. Uh, You won election four years ago with 70% of the vote. It was a real landslide. And, and, and I, th- I thought I was seeing things the day after the election when I was looking at the election results and, and you were behind. How surprised were you? I was 100% surprised. Um, and, and it's because before that election, when I was 21 years old, I went to see a wide election with 62% of the vote. And when I think of sort of what we promised to do, we delivered and di- did more than I thought we could do from providing scholarships to every student graduate from a larger school district from being fiscally responsible, ending city golf sub- subsidies, ending with a surplus during a recession and a global pandemic, um, for the work we did on COVID-19, to the 40% reduction in the homicides we saw the last two years, to the 20% reduction of overall crime we saw this year. I mean, things aren't perfect for sure, but given the baseline, we did an incredible job. So I was definitely shocked when the election didn't turn out the way I expected it to. What was the tone of the campaign? I mean, was there a, a level of, uh, you know, nastiness or vitriol that surprised you, given what you just said about the kind of job you thought you'd done? Um, not necessarily in the campaign, but since I was a 23-year-old city council member, I've been um, the beneficiary of all type of negative campaigning, smear tactics, misinformation, disinformation campaigns, since I was literally on city council. But you overcame um, that what, to, what, to win overwhelmingly when you when you ran for me. Yeah, well, I, I didn't get to finish, Scott. So so what, what changed this time is that there was more sophistication behind it, that there was Facebook, there was algorithms, and there was hundreds of thousands of dollars spent on a website called 209 Times for every day for three, three times a day while we were governing and doing the hard work of making sure folks had COVID relief and making sure that our protests for Black Lives Matter were done in a way that, that gave right to freedom of speech but also minimized property damage. We had a little disinformation campaign, there are words that for four years, 
sold lies. And the lies were really rooted in sort of anti-Black tropes. The first one being that Michael Tubbs is a thief. I'm sidebar because Black people are criminal. The second one being Michael Tubbs is lazy. Sidebar because Black people are lazy. The third one being Michael Tubbs is, is taking money from the city. And that was literally done every single day for four years. So it wasn't necessarily the campaign. The campaign was a campaign, and I'm, I'm pretty good at those. It was a four-year disinformation campaign, which I didn't have the expertise or the experience um, to know how, how to navigate, but but definitely learn from that and, and better for it. So let's talk about the 209 Times. Uh, it's a news site. and uh, It's not know. a news site, Scott. See, that's part of the issue. We can't call disinformation websites news sites. That's what gives it credibility. It's a Facebook blog. That's what it is. Okay, uh, but the uh, guys that run it, let's talk about them. One of them is, uh, I think, is the he, his real name. I think is maybe Patrick Powell, but he goes by Motek Sanchez. Uh, he ran for mayor, lost, uh, and vowed to go after you right from the start. T- tell us about him and how did he get? How did he create something? This blog, as you describe it, that you know got so much attention. Well, well, to be honest, I don't know much about him, including his real name, right? So, uh, but I, I think he's been someone who's been. Um, a candidate in almost every election since 2008. I think he's lost everyone. He's never got more than 10, 11%. But he's also been used as a sort of attack dog against any sort of progressive, forward-thinking, democratic leader of color in the community. So it's not just Michael Tubbs. It's now Senate Leader Eggman, a, a Senate member Eggman. It's... Um, School board trustee Lang Luntow. It, it's it's community based organizations like Fathers and Families. It's, it's any organization or any person who's actually about making the people of Stockton better. He has seemed to position himself to to be the attack dog. And I think in this case, he had some help um, from folks like Alan Sawyer, who's a lawyer, and others who really sat down and strategized around how do we manipulate Facebook to create to make money through mm-hmm. ad revenue, but also to to exert political power and. Unfortunately, in this case, it worked. And I think that's why KQED is so important and local news outlets have to be a priority because in Stockton, we don't have a KQED. We don't have, well, the, the 209 Times is like the only sort of local source of quote unquote news, right? Because our local newspaper has been decimated. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it's just being very exploitative and taking advantage of a terrible situation um, and exploiting it for nefarious gains and aims. But my hope is, and Part of the reason why I'm doing this interview is to really sound the alarm and let folks know that we have to support local journalism, hmm. that we, we can't live in a democracy when folks live in two different realities where facts aren't facts. Like they, they, You just can't govern. We can't move forward. And we have real serious challenges we have to face, particularly as we rebound from COVID-19. And, of course, we see an echo of that uh, at the national level, too, with Fox News and some of these other more conservative websites, uh, Newsmax, uh, that are promoting conspiracy theories. I mean, it's not just Stockton, right? No, no, no. I think it's – I saw what was happening nationally, and I just thought, well, why would anybody want to do that in Stockton, California, 315,000 people? But, I mean, unfortunately, those those tactics work, particularly in times when people are feeling – insecure, people are feeling anxious, people are confused, and, and, and people are busy. And again, disinformation is literally about brain psychology. It's about creating an emotional attachment to a to a story, to a feeling that may not be true, but if you're fed that junk every single day and there's no antidote, it's akin to if folks just watch Fox News all day and there was no MSNBC, there was no CNN, there was no KQED. At some point, that ha- that changes what you see, it changes what you believe, and it changes behavior. Um, and that's why I, I'm speaking so forcefully 
against disinformation because if it didn't work, you wouldn't have foreign governments like Russia you making it part of their counterintelligence strategy and making it part of their foreign policy strategy. Like it, it does work as a country. We have to become serious about how do we counter the impacts of disinformation? How do we hold news sites like Facebook accountable? And how do we make sure we, we are able to support local journalism, local news, so that people at least have the same set of facts from which they can derive whatever conclusions they want to? If you're just joining us, we're talking with Michael Tubbs. He's the outgoing Stockton mayor, rising star in California's progressive political circles. We'll see what his future holds as the conversation unfolds. But he did lose his bid for re-election. And this, uh, I want to come back to just, I know you said you don't know a lot about this guy who runs uh, the 209 Times. And 209, by the way, for those who don't know, is the area code of uh, your area down there, uh, there in in, in the uh, Stockton area. But I was reading that at one of the city council meetings, he was pushing for a sanctuary, to make Stockton a sanctuary city, which kind of confused me because I would have assumed that he was sort of trying to undo you from the right, but, you know, sanctuary city policies are are more progressive or left kind of policies. So what's the deal? Yeah, I I mean, well, that's not what happened, right? So at that meeting, we had a resolution for sanctuary cities on the agenda. He just wanted to, to write it. And he had a problem with a couple of the words, but 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 again, I think it's it's they're also pro Black Lives Matter, but caucus with the police union. It's it's not about anything that makes logical sense. It, it's really about in the moment what what creates an advantage and, and what creates a narrative because this information works with confusion when there's lack of clarity, when things are muddy, when things are confused. That's when it's much much more powerful. So I mean, again, he was a Bernie Sanders supporter allegedly but has worked for nothing but Republicans while while in the city. So I, I yeah. think we can't really take much stock into what he says. We have to look at what he's done, his yeah. body of work. And in this election, his body of work was ensuring that every single democratically endorsed candidate from assembly on down to school board lost. All right, Mayor, we got to take a quick break. I'm sorry to cut you off, but we're going to take a break. Give us a call, 866-733-6786. If you'd like to talk to the mayor or send us a comment, at, uh, we're at KQED Forum on Facebook and Twitter. Or you can email us. It's forum at kqed.org. And we'd love to hear from you if your area code is 209. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. And welcome back to Forum. Scott Schaefer here today for Michael Krasny. We're talking with Michael Tubbs, the outgoing mayor of Stockton. We'd love to hear from you, especially if you live in Stockton, if you were a voter in this past election. Give us a call now at 866-733-6786. Again, it's 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum. Or if you like, you can also email us. It's uh, forum at kqed.org. Well, Mayor Tubbs, let's talk a little bit about what you did the last four years. Uh, homelessness has been a big issue, uh, of course, not just in Stockton, uh, but uh, throughout any, any city, really, in California and across the country. Um, that was one of the attacks on you, is that you didn't do enough about homelessness. Uh, you know, what from where, from where you sit, uh, what got done? I appreciate the question, and, and I would also 
argue, I would also concede that we probably should have done a better job communicating the issue of homelessness, what power the city has versus the county and what we actually we, we had done. Um, when I became mayor, there was no strategic plan to address the issue of homelessness. And there was also no dollars in the budget <laughs> to address the issue. So you could be upset with an issue, you can tweet about an issue, but without a plan and resources, you'll get nothing done. So in four years, we created a strategic plan to address homelessness um, that the county and the city approved. And that's important because unlike San Francisco, I don't control county functions. I don't control mental health. I don't control COC dollars. I don't control mental health dollars. I don't control the majority of things that many folks who are experiencing homelessness need. And as a city, we just control cops and, and land use. But even in, despite that, I was able to work with the governor to get $6 million in HAP funds this year for the first time in the city's history. And with that money we allocated in November, with that money, we're going to be able to build a navigation center because the city of Stockton has no navigation centers. And again, that's not a four-year Michael Tubbs issue. That's a 40-year issue because we've always had an issue with homelessness and no one's done anything to address it. Um, with the $6 million, we're able to expand our winter shelter capacity. I was able to partner with the governor to, to purchase a hotel through Project Home Key so that now we've have 25% of our permanent supportive housing needs met just through that one purchase. Um, we were able to partner with Caltrans to employ individuals who are experiencing homelessness to work. And we also were able to create a, a fee structure, eliminate all fees for affordable housing developers and use state lands to develop affordable housing. But again, I think trying to undo 40 years of bad governance and four is incredibly difficult. But in terms of what we actually accomplished and done on homelessness, we did a lot, and we could have did a lot more if we had more support from other elected officials on the need for tenant protections, on the need to make it difficult to evict people uh, without cause, on the need to ensure that there's enough affordable housing in our community for everyone. So that work will have to continue, but in terms of what we accomplished on homelessness, again, the scale of what we did in four years, I'm very proud of. You mentioned the eviction protections, and, uh, you know, I can imagine that landlords weren't very happy about that. Uh, do you think there was a backlash, perhaps? Did they, you know, help fund some of the opposition or your opponent uh, as a result of that? Absolutely. I think part of my governance was understanding that as, as, a, as a Christian, this idea that you have to do well by the least of these. Um, so I was definitely someone who was very vocal about the need for the city to work for all people, but that includes people who are economically struggling. And I was during kind of COVID-19, I put before the city council an, an ordinance to not do evictions on residential on residential houses. And it, initially, it, it got voted down. Um, I've also been very, very clear about the need for kind of just cause evictions that they're in the right to counsel, that folks are being evicted should, should have counsel because you know that 90% of evictions don't happen when the tenant is represented um, by, by, by a lawyer. But it's also funny to me because my mom is a small property owner. And my mom is someone who um, owns her house and rents out her house. And I've heard from her the difficulties of being a small landlord. And I, and I tell her, like I told the city, like I understand that I work for you as well. But in this instance, the common good is to minimize the number of people who are homeless. Like you can't complain to me about the amount of homeless individuals in our community and not want to see some common sense eviction protections so that if someone actually needs to be evicted, there's recourse for that, but we're not just evicting people so we can raise rents. There was also an issue involving uh, a municipal or a couple municipal golf courses, and I think you wanted to put affordable housing on one of them. How did that play out? Did that Was that also kind of a polarizing issue? Yeah, well, what's interesting is that I never um, 
suggested <laughs> to put affordable housing on the golf course. That was, again, part of the disinformation campaign. What I did suggest was that in a city of 315,000 people with a 22% poverty rate and a need for affordable housing, we should end the golf subsidy and create an affordable housing trust, a pool of money so that if someone wants to develop affordable housing, they're able to do so. And despite the hoopla and the way that was racialized and the way it revealed a really ugly underbelly of the city, we got to a good point. The city of Stockton no longer subsidizes golf. There's a million more dollars in the city's budget. And the golf course is doing better because the city of Stockton is not a good golf course operator. That's saying our cooperation. So I think in that instance, that showed that I'm actually a true fiscal conservative, that I'm not afraid to look at the budget and say, why are we spending money on this? And what's also interesting to me is that in 2010, the city council had the same discussion. There was no backlash. There was no mass protest. There was no disinformation campaign. It was treated as the course of, of city business. And the only thing that changed between 2010 and 2017 was that I'm the mayor. And I'm saying, let's revisit this discussion. It doesn't make sense to me when golf is declining in popularity, when the city has so many needs, when we struggle to keep our libraries open, that we should subsidize golf um, in the city. And it, it did become a polarizing issue, but we did get to a good place where we're able to keep the golf course a golf course and in the city subsidy. I'm so incredibly proud of that work as well. Stockton, as you know, I don't have to tell you this, is a it's a moderate-sized city. It's a working-class city. It has a lot of poverty. It's very diverse. Uh, and I'm wondering, you know, you have a great personal story that was documented in this HBO documentary uh, that was very, you know, positive about you. And I'm wondering if you feel that there was an element in Stockton who felt, and I, I hesitate to use this phrase, but it's, it has been out there and it's been applied to other people, that you were, you know, getting too big for your britches, you know, that you were growing, you were too focused on your image or too focused on national politics, not focused enough on the nitty gritty, you know, the, the old uh, metaphor of filling potholes, you know, that mayors are supposed to focus on. Yeah, I, 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 I still do not understand that. I mean, my father is still incarcerated. I made $70,000 a year as mayor. My mother had me when she was in high school. I'm literally, besides my four years at Stanford, Stockton's the only place I've ever lived. So I think being too big for your britches or being quote-unquote uppity, I think that also in my case may have some racial undertones, right? Like who am I to think that Stockton's important enough or the mayor of Stockton's important enough to be part of national political discussions? But I think through my whole life, I would not have become mayor if I had always kind of shrunk to what people thought was appropriate to me. I would have never run for office if I would always thought about, okay, will this make people feel uncomfortable? Like the only way a 26-year-old black guy with a father in jail becomes mayor it's from taking up space. It's from being ambitious. And I think what was missed was that my ambition was for the city. Like Everything was for making the city be the city I wanted to grow up in as a child. So I'm sure there are some undercurrents and undertones there. But if you look at actually the fiscal health of the city, if you look at the bread and butter issues of the city, those were being handled and done in the way they hadn't been done for the last 40 years. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that that again, I think that's an example of feeling being more important than fact. But if I had to go back in time, I would not have stopped building relationship with the governor or the VP elect because that's helpful for the city. Yeah. I would have not tried to influence national policy with what we're doing in Stockton because that's helpful for the city and for the nation. And I think Stockton's a beautiful city with struggles like every other city's, but also that has a story 
that needs to be told, that has good things that are happening that the world should take notice of. Yeah. You use the word uppity, which, of course, is a word used to describe uh, successful black folks uh, who some feel uh, I've heard it used to describe Michelle Obama and Barack Obama. But you lost to a Republican who's a pastor at a local church, Kevin Lincoln, former Marine. But, you know, you're both black. But I wonder what role you think race played in this, given that both of you are African-American. Yeah, well, I mean, Ben Carson's African-American, and he, he works for, <laughs> for Donald Trump. Does that make Donald Trump not a racist or, or a white supremacist? I mean, Omarosa, like, I mean, <laughs> that's such a simplistic understanding of how race and racial dynamics operate um, in, the, in, in this country. Like, when the two black Republicans in this, when the two black folks in the Senate is a Republican, but no one would deny, no one would argue that the Republican Party is the party of, of racial equity versus the party of, of, of white grievance. So I can't speak to sort of um, Merrillette Lincoln, but I would say if you look at the 209 Times website, it trafficked in racial tropes, and there's no denying it. There's literally memes of me juxtaposed on a picture of a crackhead saying, you got any more of that taxpayer money? That's not racist. There's literally pictures of me with a 40 in my hands calling me Black Jesus. That's not racist. There's literally comments and pictures saying I'm a thug because my father's incarcerated, saying that I'm a crook, I'm a criminal, I'm under investigation, when none of those things are true. And, 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 and again, I think we have sort of benchmarks we can compare it to. I'm the first black mayor, our last literal mayor, a Portuguese guy, was under FBI investigation. He was actually indicted. He was actually incarcerated. He actually was tried by a jury of his peers, hmm. had less than one hundredth of the vitriol I received for quote unquote being a criminal. And the only difference I see is that I'm black, right? So and again I think we know in twenty twenty that racism exists. It doesn't explain everything, but but we can have a conversation, um, particularly when there's actual examples of, of racial tropes and racism, without that being a, a factor. And I would also say, Scott, Stockton's been around since eighteen forty nine. The fact that I was the first black mayor in 2016 doesn't mean I'm the smartest black person to ever come from Stockton. Or mm-hmm. I'm the only black person in 150 years to be qualified to be mayor of Stockton. There suggests some institutional bias and, and, and some some racism there, which isn't um, the end all be all, but definitely is an important factor and one that has to be uh, disentangled and discussed as we seek to move forward and build a community that works for everyone, no matter what race you are. Talking with Michael Tubbs, he's the outgoing mayor of Stockton. If you'd like to join us, give us a call, 866-733-6786 is the number. Again, it's 866-733-6786. would love to hear from anybody, but in particular, people who are constituents of the mayor, folks in Stockton. Give us a ring. You can also get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum. Or if you prefer, you can also email us. It's forum at kqed.org. Let me read some of the comments we've got here, Mayor. Uh, David writes, so, a little sarcastic, so it's okay for HBO to produce a pro-mayor broadcast, but not okay for a news outlet to produce an anti-mayor broadcast? Kind of a sarcastic question, but none, nonetheless, making that's his point. What's, what's your response to that? Um, well, again, it wasn't a, a news broadcast. It was a four-year disinformation campaign, a... B, the HBO documentary was literally filmed. So they literally filmed what was happening. If it happened to be positive, it, it, that's, what, <laughs> that's what the camera captured. I mean, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The it's not like, it's not like you funded it or produced it or directed it. 
or even asked for it. They came <laughs> to me. And I told them no two times. <laughs> and then we finally got to a good place when I told them I wanted to be about the city. I want you to highlight the folks in the city that are often excluded. So highlight teen mothers, highlight young organizers, highlight our big public house high school in, in, in the South Park um, uh, of, of the city. But again, this is not the, the this disinformation point isn't about me. I'm literally 30 years old. Being mayor of Stockton, luckily for me, is the floor of my career. I'm only, I'm 30 years old. I have 40 plus more years to do all type of things. So it's not even about me. It's about what it means for the future of democracy. And it's about what it means for my community to have all these candidates, many of whom aren't prepared for their jobs, to be beholden to a disinformation, fake news, Facebook website whose only agenda is power and control. That does not lead to good governance. That does not lead to good COVID-19 recovery. It does not lead to continued progress for, for the city. So, so that's my, my, my concern. Here's another comment, uh, sort of a counterpoint. Pam writes, completely agree with Mr. Tubbs. I appreciate him sounding the alarm. Local views and facts need to be heard. Lies and misinformation, classic strategy used by evildoers. Uh, and then Olga writes, some people have decided to best deal with disinformation by ignoring it, believing your body of work will speak for itself. After what you've been through, do you think this is a viable strategy? No, do not do that. Do not pass the <laughs> That's what I did. I said, well, look, it's very obvious I don't live in New York when there's a whole movie about me being in Stockton. I don't need to respond to that. Oh, it's very obvious that I'm not a crook because I haven't been arrested or tried for anything. It's very obvious I'm not stealing money from the city when we brought in over $100 million. So I thought I would tell my team, let's not... When they go low, we go high, let's stay focused, let's, let's run our race, the work will speak for itself. And that's just not true in 2020, in 2021. So you have to defend your record, you have to be online, you have to, until Facebook is reformed and does better, be on Facebook and really aggressively counter with the facts. This is what happened, this is what's gonna happen, this is actually real, and make sure you just attack the credibility of, of, of people, particularly people who literally lose every election they run for people who have no record to stand on, people who actually don't do anything but type lies on the keyboard, right? And I thought that people would just be able to see it. Like, you never vote for this guy. Why would you trust this guy's opinion of, of what's happening? And unfortunately, that was the wrong strategy. So lesson learned. <laughs> Did you, uh, I'm wondering if you heard from any other candidates who had, or former candidates, former elected officials after the election who had similar experiences. I'm thinking of Hillary Clinton, but I'm not saying she necessarily <laughs> called you, but maybe she did. But, you know, who did you hear from that that went through something similar and said, up? Oh, you know, I feel you. Um, I talked to VP, VP elect Harris reached out um, and just said very encouraging words, very complimentary of, of the work happening in Stockton. Um, and also said she, she saw sort of disinformation at work in 2020 and how we all need to do a, a better job of countering it. And Senator Cory Booker has also, we've had a couple of extensive conversations about sort of disinformation and social media and strategies to, to combat it. And did they, uh, did they, they obviously, I mean, was that, did anybody during the course of this whole campaign say, you know, Mayor Tubbs, um, there's this website out there with a lot of disinformation, like a political advisor, or did anybody do a poll uh, during the course of the campaign and said, you know, I think we might have a problem here. Yeah, so we um, a lot of people have been talking about the, the, the Facebook page since it, it started. And what's interesting, its first post was literally my first city council meeting after being sworn in. <laughs> hmm. but, um, Didn't waste any time. So people have been sounding the alarm, but I mean, we did polling, and the polling suggested that there was a 
viable and, and likely path to victory. I mean, in the primary, we were up by 20 points with, with eight people in the race, right? Um, so we figured, and we did another poll, and it showed that some of the attacks were working, but it also showed an inverted like mirror image of what the final result was. So uh, we, we did the polling, we raised the money, we did the focus group. We didn't do door-to-door campaigning um, only because I thought I just wanted to be COVID respectful. Um, and that we could just phone bank. But in retrospect, I think we should have did a little bit more um, campaigning door to door and maybe even did some more in person things. Yeah. Because the, the, base, the best antidote to disinformation or caricatures about who you are as a person is to have someone have a conversation with you, yeah. someone to meet you, someone to be able to ask questions. And we unfortunately weren't able to do that through Zoom um, <laughs> in a way. <laughs> That would lead to the result we wanted. Yeah. Uh, Mayor, coming up on a break, but Robert writes, and I think this may be uh, based on a false premise, but why did the mayor endorse, it says, Joe Biden over Bernie Sanders, seemingly at odds with the mayor's policy? Is it possible this, too, negatively impacted your own reelection? I thought you endorsed Harris and then Mike Bloomberg. Yeah, that, that, that is. That, those are the two people I did endorse. And then I endorsed um, President-elect Biden as well, um, like March or April. Yeah, so third time was the charm. Uh, did, <laughs> what? Uh, but what about the point about Bernie Sanders? Just who didn't you just didn't know him, or you didn't feel he was the right choice for the time? Yeah, well, I, I mean, it wasn't me. It was the the voters in the primary. I, I looked at data, and the data suggested to me that it was going to be a moderate who was going to win, um, a moderate older white man who was going to win on the Democratic um, nomination. And I would say in terms of the choice to endorse Michael Bloomberg, I mean, I think every African-American mayor in California of a city of more than 100,000 people endorsed yeah. Mike Bloomberg. Yeah, like, he's, I, he's I, been I, very I, supportive. Like, and most most mayors in this country actually yeah. endorsed Mike Bloomberg. And for me, it was about policy. Yep. Mayor, yep, we've got to take a break. Sorry to cut you off. 866-733-6786. If you want to join us, we'll be right back. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. And welcome back to Forum. Scott Schaefer here today for Michael Krasny. Our talk, I'm talking with uh, Mayor Michael Tubbs from Stockton. He's got about, what, uh, Mayor, 10 days left, something like that, uh, before you leave office. Um, let's go to the phones. And Our first caller is uh, towards Stockton, but not in Stockton, Allison in San Ramon. Welcome. Thank you. Just want to give a shout-out to Mayor Tubbs. Your pilot program to provide universal basic income helps so many people. You demonstrated leadership and integrity. I hope that you will return to public office. There you go, Mayor. We didn't get into the uh, universal income project. That got a lot of attention. Uh, tell us what that was. I, th- I believe it was like a five hundred dollars a month stipend uh, for people, like one hundred twenty-five folks. Is that is that correct? You got it, man. So essentially, before COVID nineteen and it's upon taking office, I realized that the crux of the majority of the issues we face in the city is actually poverty and was able to partner with the Economic Security Project to partner and do the first basic income pilot in the city in, in several decades in this country. 
And what we found is that people spend money the way you and I spend money on food, on necessities, on groceries, on their kids, et cetera. And that work has been so successful that in June, I created a group called Marriage for Guaranteed Income, which now has 30 marriages throughout this country and just received a $15 million donation from Jack, the founder of Twitter, to do similar pilots in 30 cities across this country. So we went from one city of 300,000 people with $1 million to 30 cities um, from across this nation um, with $15 million plus to really pilot this idea and, and, and really make the case that we have to improve our social safety net and provide at least an income floor for people so that their work goes further, so that people who work from home, do caregiving, domestic work, that they're seen and, 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 and are given something for, for their um, contributions and that we just have a more much more fair and inclusive economy. There was a lot of misinformation too about this program and my understanding is that it wasn't really part it wasn't part of the city budget. It was part of a foundation uh, or an organization that you created. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. So we 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 are able to do the pilot um with um philanthropic dollars with foundation support. So it was a it's a program operate like a nonprofit, like the hundreds of other nonprofits we have operating in our city. And what happens to it now? Oh, so that we were able to extend it in July for six more months because of COVID-19. Um, but it was always, so it's going to end in July. It's now going to end in January. So it'll continue um, to end in January. And then the research and, and, and results will be out March, April. Any anecdotal evidence, you know, early? I realize it's just that. Yeah, but, no, yeah. there's, my favorite story is about a, a woman named Zane who she was working and she had symptoms in like February or, or, or early March before there's really widespread testing. So she had a decision to make whether to go to work or to not go to work. And that was a big decision because she doesn't have paid time off, right? So not going to work meant not getting paid. And if you want to quarantine for two weeks, that's missing half your month's paycheck or an entire paycheck. Mm -hmm. um, but she said the $500 allowed her to take time off to not go to work. And then she ended up getting a test a week later and found out she was, in fact, COVID positive. But mm. for me, that was so powerful because I was like, this is literally keeping us safe. Like if she had gone to work, had affected everyone, the spread would have been like, it's, it's a very contagious disease. And a lot of people don't have the protections of paid time off. So that was, that's been a, a story or anecdote that's really stuck with me. And then the second one was from another um, recipient who talked about how through no fault of their own, they were laid off from work. And they qualify for unemployment insurance because they paid into unemployment insurance. And I'm so dumb. I didn't recognize that unemployment insurance was automatic. I didn't know you had to apply for it and wait. So they waited three months for their first EDD check. And at that time, their Some bills people waited and, a lot longer than that. But that's a whole other but, story. But think about that. Like, their bills didn't wait three months. They're not working. How are they supposed to pay for anything? Yeah, and yeah. they said the $500 a month was not everything, but was just enough to allow them to not be incredibly stressed, to continue to pay off some of their debts, and to weather that storm and not be evicted or not be homeless, not be in complete emotional disarray. And I think that's why I've become such an evangelist, particularly during this time, because I've seen it be the difference between life and death for, for 125 people and understanding that there's 300,000 other people in my city, many of whom have very similar economic um, conditions. 
Here's a comment from Robert who writes, I salute the mayor for his courage to experiment with UBI, uh, refusing to play it safe and not do anything controversial. How can we know if such policies might work without trying them out? Good point. Uh, and, and this is something, as you said, that a lot of other cities have since picked up and are going to try. So there will be a lot of data. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm terribly excited about that. And I also appreciate the point because I think particularly when we think about our political system, all the incentives are there to like keep the status quo, <laughs> like to, to not make waves, to not make people upset, to not do anything. And I think that explains why we're in the mess we're in. So we need, for folks listening, we need more leaders than politicians. We need people who are willing to understand that political job is, is, is for a finite amount of time. And in that time, you need to do something to make the status quo better. And if you're not elected to that office again, that's fine. Life goes on. You can find something else to do. You can eventually run for another office. But once you're in the office, it's not about taking up space. It's about doing something, pushing something, and trying to make things better for sure. You know, Andrew Yang uh, was one of the first who began talking on a national level about universal basic income. Did, did he reach out to you at all during the campaign? I mean, he would seem to be a sort of a natural ally. Yeah, yeah. No, I love Andrew. He's, he's, he's a great friend. So we, we talk from time to time for sure. And he may run for mayor of New York. At least that's that's what I read. Uh, let's go back to the phones and David in San Francisco. You're next. Yeah, uh, yeah. Morning. I uh, Mark Twain's big. Uh, I, I'm a big fan of Mark Twain, and he always said about California that uh, people out here like to fight over water instead of women. And uh, <laughs> I'm wondering if the the mayor has gotten involved in this. Uh, I we. As bad as our air got during the recent wildfires, you must have had it 10 times worse. And uh, with global warming melting the snow in the mountains so early in the year, it's starting to dry up the Central Valley. So uh, I'm wondering, of course, uh, do cities in the Central Valley have the ability to take precedence over water versus corporate sales that sometimes take the water out of America. Mayor Tubbs? Yeah, well, thank you for that question. And one of the biggest fights we've been engaged in for the last decade is, uh, is around kind of the San Joaquin Delta um, and making sure that our wa- understanding that folks throughout the state need water, but not at the expense of our local economy, our local ecosystem, our, our native communities, and our, and our Delta community. Um, so even as a member of Governor Newsom's transition team, I'm speaking very clearly about opposition to like the, the Twin Tunnels plan. Um, and also even now, before this election, working closely with the Department of Water Resources to make sure that any plan, any strategy, any discussion about water that's stocked in and stocked in interest are at the table. And we recently just got a $10 million grant from the Transforming Climate Communities um, to really pilot a Green New Deal in the city. Um, so I'm very proud of that work that will continue, even though I won't be here um, to help shep- continue to shepherd and lead it. But I will plant more trees, educate folks about the environment, create pathways to green jobs. And, and, and again, we'll kind of cement our strategy in ensuring that our levees are, 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 are at the proper level. Because we also understand that so much of our city is underwater. If we get a once in a century flood, that will be devastating, particularly for, for communities of color. And, and, and communities who are already struggling with, with all types of existential threats. So that was definitely high on the priority list. And, and, I, and I hope that work continues in, in the government sector, although I'm very confident that my community partners and community groups 
will rise to the challenge and, and keep pushing for that for the city. Well, and some people might not know because uh, although Stockton is part of the Central Valley, it's also a port city. Yes, second largest inland port. The port is one of our, our crown jewels. And I'm really very excited because one of the last deals I was able to, to help get through and I helped recruit was, is for a company called Nautilus, Nautilus Data Centers, which will be a, a data center that's powered by water. Uh, that sounds nerdy because it is, but I really do think that'll be a key for economic development and growth in our community to have a data center that's sustainable in our community to, for folks to plug in so that the folks who need to operate in the cloud now see Stockton as part of this sort of tech ecosystem. And I hope over the next 10, 20, 30 years, we see more good paying jobs, more tech jobs and more tech education um, for, for the residents of my community. Is that something that's taking hold there, tech, in terms of, uh, you know, classes and coding and high schools even? Slowly but surely. We have a great program called CodeStack Academy ran by our County Office of Education that helps folks after they graduate high school to enter into the tech field by giving them classes and training for tech certification. Uh, we have been talking with MissionBit and Code for um, Code High School and other organizations about coming in. Um, to Stockton and, and doing summer camp. So we're def I, I've been pushing and pressing and saying that um, coding has to be just like taking a foreign language. That we, and we see it happening in the Bay Area, in San Francisco and San Jose, where students are given access to tech classes. And we don't need to fall any further behind. So it's definitely been a priority of mine and one that hopefully I'm able to continue to push even after uh, my time as mayor is done. You're listening to Forum. I'm Scott Schaefer here today for Michael Krasny. I'm talking with Stockton Mayor Michael Tubbs. And if you'd like to join us, give us a call. It's not too late. 866-733-6786. Again, it's 866-733-6786. Let me ask you a question about the police uh, in Stockton. Um, you know, there was a lot of talk uh, during the election and after the election about the whole defund the police movement, uh, what that meant exactly. It meant different things to different people, of course. Um, and I'm wondering if you, first of all, what did, what did you think of that phrase as a rallying cry for some on the left? And what impact, if any, did the, the whole issue of policing have in your campaign? Yeah, I, I think activism and governance are different. So I think phrases that activists use um, serve a purpose, but as an elected official, those phrases probably um, <laughs> wouldn't lead to electoral success. But I, I think for me, I always took kind of what I felt was the ethos, was this idea that we can't just increase police budgets all the time and not do anything to address mental health, poverty, jobs, et cetera, which is something I 100% um, agree with. So Stockton, during my tenure as mayor, uh, we have more officers than we've ever had, but also per capita, we're not staffed up to what research says we need. But Despite that, during this time, we've also led the state in decline in officer-involved shootings. Our police chief, Eric Jones, me, him and I worked very closely together, and he really led a series of very progressive reforms even before Black Lives Matter protests, which is why the city of Stockton was one of the few cities in this nation that had no curfews issued, no, I didn't have to do any curfews, no tear gas was used, no rubber bullets were used. People were able to protest, but they didn't play out um, with some of the chaotic scenes you've seen in, in, in other communities. I think a lot of it goes to like the trust and reconciliation work that our police chief had had, had been leading and I had been supporting. But I would say I, I was very clear and I would remain clear 
that I don't think school districts, as a former educator and someone with a master's in education policy, need officers, like their own police department. And that was a demand brought forth by some of the young activists in our community and one that I continue to, to support, particularly because we know that 99% of school districts in this country don't have police, police their own police forces. And we know that those who do are often districts that are heavily Title I and districts that have as much or more officers than they have guidance counselors. So I did lend my support to the young people in that and saying, no, I completely agree. We don't need a Stockton Police Department and a school district police department, particularly because Stockton has four school districts and all four don't have police departments. And the one with the largest police department also happens to be the one with the most kids in poverty and the most kids of color, which I think sends a bad message and those resources could be better deployed for counselors and social workers. Um, yeah. But in terms of my race, again, there was disinformation of sort of about my stance with police. And I think me and the police chief work closely together. Me and the police union, of course, um, didn't see eye to eye on, on every issue. But now is the time for police reform. We should not have qualified immunity for police officers. We need to get rid of that policy. We should have ways to hold officers accountable when they don't when they break the law. And we should make sure that police officers are reflective and that they aren't the first responders to mental health um, and other crisis situations. And that was kind of a sticking point um, with our police union, which is why they ended up endorsing um, the, the now the mayor elect. Yeah. Let's read some listener comments here. Matthew writes, I've lived in Stockton uh, since the 1970s and experienced stigma as the son of a divorced mom who was raising three kids in Park, the Parkwoods neighborhood. I found the town to be mean-spirited and very segregated. What did the mayor do to foster dialogue between the entrenched old Republican guard of the Central Valley and the 200,000 mostly non-white folks that have come to the city since he lived there? He, he, I guess he left. He lived there in the 70s. Um, I tried. <laughs> Easier said than done. But I think even the discussions we had about basic income, the discussions we had about municipal golf, the discussions we had about Sanctuary City, were really one of the first times an elected leader in the city put issues of equity and racial equity front and center for everyone to discuss. And even through the course of my campaign, I was endorsed by four of my six council members, three of whom were Republican. I had a lot of support for some of the older Republican families in, in the city. So we were building a, a coalition of folks who looked, who were different and was, and was a different sort of coalition. I also think that was a threat to some of the existing interests to see um, some of the oldest, stock, more, most powerful Stockton families getting on board for this agenda of inclusive growth and, and racial equity. Um, I think one, one of the things I'm most proud of is in June, myself and the Spanos family, we teamed up together to create a Juneteenth Capital Fund, which is a fund that they that they they donated to, which provided support to Black-owned businesses and Black-owned nonprofits and helped beef up our African-American chamber. And in a city as diverse as Stockton, something like that had never happened um, in the city's history. Um, so definitely was doing the work of, of showing everyone that we all do better when we all do better. And I'm glad 
we had so many of those discussions so early because I had no idea it would just be four years. I, I thought <laughs> I would have another four. Yeah. Well, we've had a lot of people comment about what comes next for you, including Kathleen, who writes, he's now free to do bigger things for the community without the confines of a public position. He can do even more to advocate for the unseen and unheard. Uh, another uh, comment from Caroline, who writes, I live in SF, and every time I have heard Mayor Tubbs speak, I felt energized and encouraged about the future, how politicians could and should interact with we the people. I wish him all the best with his future endeavors. So what do you see going forward? What what would you like to do? I mean, I'm sure you'll want to take a deep breath and maybe relax a little bit the best you can in a pandemic. But, um, <laughs> you know, what no, do you see I, for yourself? Um, yeah, well, I would say I did not see myself as mayor at 26 or 30. Um, so I, I, I don't want to put out kind of what I see because oftentimes – my vision is so much smaller than, than, than what could be. Um, but I know I will continue being an advocate um, and a voice for all people, um, someone who believes in the dignity of all people, someone who prioritizes equity, and someone who's going to push and work and demand that America live up to her values. Um, so I'm not sure if that's necessarily in elected office or out of elected office, but also know that I'm 30 years old. So in the next 40 to 50 years, there's a lot of stuff that can be done. Some of it in office, some of it out of office, some of it in the tech space, some of it in the entertainment space, some of it in the advocacy space. So I'm open um, to, to the creator kind of showing what, what's next for me. But I know the values that were underlining um, will be the, the values I, I govern with. And also, I think the lessons I've learned from being mayor of Stockton will serve me well in whatever's next. So I'm incredibly thankful for the community for giving me the opportunity to lead during a very difficult time in our city's history, in our national history, and during my 20s, because I think it just bodes well um, for what's next for me. All right. Stockton Mayor Michael Tubbs, thank you so much for being an inspiration to so many folks. And uh, we know we'll be hearing from you in the probably in the not-too-distant future. That's my guess, anyway. Michael Tubbs, thanks so much. Good luck to you. Thank you, Scott. Thanks for having me. You bet. I'm Scott Schaefer here today for Michael Krasny. I'll be back tomorrow. We'll be talking about the recall effort against Gavin Newsom and also about foster kids and the pandemic. Hope you'll join us. Thanks for listening. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation and the Generosity Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. 
All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.